0: Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors Harbro for their continued support. This week on Top Lines and Tales, we're talking to an auctioneer and an auctioneer whose family I know because I've got Drew Patrick on the the call from uh, Hexham Northern Marts. And uh, Drew, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Andy, for inviting me.
0: Uh, and uh, the reason I say I know your family, your dad used to take my cattle to Smithfield going back in the 1980s, probably before you were born. I certainly wouldn't be very...
1: Yeah, I had a brief chat with him and uh, he said, yeah, he took... Um, he used to take your stock to Smithfield and I believe, I think he took some stuff up to the Island Show as well. He was... Um, yeah, he, yeah he had, he was saying he had two lorry loads up where there was the likes of yourself and John Sinnott, Robin Hume, the Dongers and uh, I think it was Sue and Ian Archer... Um, there was two lorry loads that went up to the Highland yeah
0: Yeah, and he used to take down to Smithfield he would take all the Hereford cattle as well so we'd have Fred Harrington and John Wayman Jones in there there was some party in the back of that wagon a few
1: times on the way down yeah yeah (laughs) so I hear yeah no dad dad enjoyed his few years um, going down to Smithfield and he he enjoyed showing down there and I I believe he was under the tutorage of uh, Bob Powell for a few years as well I think um, he used to go around fitting cattle for people and um, yeah he's got some thoroughly enjoyable memories and some things he hasn't quite told us and he's kept away from us <laughs> <laughs> i'm
0: not, I'm not going to tell you either i tell you that what goes what goes to smithfield stays in smithfield so <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah
1: yeah that's
0: but, um, as, as, no, I, as i said at the top of the, the call there that uh, you're you're now an auctioneer and been in a while so tell us how you got into that and where you started
1: um yeah no so um obviously uh going around markets um from a very early age with dad and grandchild and things, um, buying cattle and things, always wanted to be kind of, uh, either, Buying stock or, or wanting to be an auctioneer, um, I managed to go to college and then university. And I was working in an abattoir for um, nearly a, about a year or so. And the opportunity to move north up to Hexham came about. Um, this was about nine years ago now, um, and I did a bit of work experience in Northumberland uh, in my college days. Um, so yeah, went for the job, um, managed to land it, and yeah, I've just I've been here um, just under nine years now. Uh, Hexamart started here um, as a trainee, and um, just worked my way through the ranks. Really.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, that's that, that's you know, great to hear. We'll go on to a bit more of your, of your career and what you do in a second. But for youngsters going into the business, people coming into the livestock business or going from farming and deciding to get into auctioneers, I mean, is that is, a, is that the basic route? Is you just get your heads down and and, uh, and get your job done and then throw your CV out there, or is it a little bit more about who you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, you've you've definitely got to be a little bit proactive. Um, go out there. There's there's opportunities everywhere. Um, you've you've like you say. You kind of start at the bottom. you have got to be um, down sorting bees, sorting sheep, down on the docks, and and, and move your way through. Um, but yeah, the best thing to do is is get out there, put your CV out there, ring auctioneers, and and the biggest thing is to be proactive. Um, firms like to see someone with a, a bit of ambition. And a little bit of drive, and if you've got that, you—that's the—that's uh, the start of it. To be honest, okay. I guess if they
0: take people on, then they want to take somebody on who's got ambitious to go all the way to the top, not just take somebody on who's just uh, who's going to sit there or move on. So yeah I can understand that. And tell us a little bit more than you're at Hexham and Northern Marts now. I mean, they're—they're they're a big player in the northeast and a company that's growing. I think.
1: Yes yeah no um it's it's a, it's a great company it's a very well established company um, they've been here on Town green um, for now for about 26 27 years of the new market here there used to be a couple of markets up in um, in the top of Hexham there um, and the two companies um, amalgamated together and then we also have Scotts Scott market which we've had on this morning which is a, a seasonal fat market for sheep um, we open it up in july and that will run now till about the beginning beginning of december when lambs um start to kind of run out in that kind of area um so those are the livestock side of things and then we do uh, antiques and furniture up at rothbury uh, which is the old rothbury market um and we have four sales there a year for uh antiques and like I say um, furniture and then um we also now which we started two years ago uh antiques and furniture at Hexham as well using all the facilities here um yeah and it is it is it's a, it's a very well established company we've um as a company, we also own Hexham Racecourse, um, and we have several farms in the in the um, portfolio. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's a well established company which is run run by uh, some directors as uh, as a team of directors there, and then um, shareholders uh, as well. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, you mentioned um rothbury market there. i remember my father judging in rothbury market used to buy a lot of suckle calves of course that you're very much in a suckle calf area there in the northeast but also it's a it's a mule part of the world as well you're in amongst the, the, the mule boys there so yeah, you've yes. you got, you got, you got to, to, two big enterprises i suppose coming out of that northeast there in, in the breeding side of it and uh, let's just take a look at the industry a little bit this year drew that was sort of uh, you know, the idea of the core really i mean you said you started there but You mentioned to me you sort of sell store cattle most of the year, but then you get into the breeding sales this time of year. So let's just have a a little little look at sort of how the – how's the sheep industry looking you know fat lamb prices I suppose are up this year so you know, where, are we yeah.
1: at, where are we now yeah so we had a um, fat lamb sale here at Hexham yesterday which was uh, which is good the fat lamb traders it is good we're in front of last year really Like uh, yesterday we'd averaged 255 pence a kilo for a sale that averaged uh, 46 kilos and then the same sale this time last year we were 231 pence a kilo so um, we are a little bit in front which is good um i think i'd say the the lamb numbers are a little bit tighter this time because of the poor spring and the the drought the drought last year reduced you know lamb crops um and that's nationwide it's not just up here um and that's that's helped things a little bit um yeah definitely so it's it's been fairly good with the lamb trade um a little bit you know it could be a, a little bit we're a little bit worried for what could happen from november december onwards you, you never know what what's going to happen with imports and things especially the way things are in australia at the moment but at the moment we're um we're riding on top of the uh, of, on top of the crest of the wave like you know
0: good good and that's yeah that's good to hear i mean land prices need to be up we know that because obviously cost of everything else is spiraling through the roof and uh pro rata i don't suppose. Uh, what you just talked there, probably a 10% increase there probably isn't enough, but maybe we'll go into that a in little bit more detail as to sort of where that's going. But let's just talk about the breeding sales a little bit and the, you know, the top sales start down the south in July really, but they start really in earnest, I think with, uh, with Kelso Ram sale, don't they, with the commercial tops anyway?
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, Kelso was again, another successful year for us. At, uh, Kelso, I would say the trade for tops this time, um, the top end were very, very good to sell. Um, the bottom end would be probably a little bit sharper than last year, um, but the the middle rotor tops and the top end were very very similar to last year. But the bottom end would probably be sharper. Okay. Um, and yeah, it was um, it was quite surprising because they usually say you know the the old thing would be saying if the fat lambs are good, the top sales are a little bit stickier because people are fairly happy with what they're breeding. But no, they've been they've been good. Um, okay. Top sales have been good at. at a uh, uh, Bill, uh, well Kelso, and then BILF as well.
0: And and you you run a ring. do You run one ring at, at Kelso or two.
1: Uh, we've got two two of our own rings um, Chris Armstrong um, colleague of mine runs a Texel ring ring five there um, and we I believe this year we had about 180 odd shearlings and I think there was 30 or 40 um, lambs and then Jack Walton um, the other, my other colleague runs the Leicester ring um, and he had just over 200 Leicesters in there and that's a society sale Um and that's well, and then there's uh, part of the society sale, I should say, because LNS uh, Larry and Simon run another ring as well, which is um, also a, a society sale, okay. um, and then. Personally, I, I sell a few crossbred tops in a separate ring, which is a shared ring. Um, and this year, again for the second year, uh, we sold some dopers. So last year we sold it was the first time we sold dopers in in Kelso, and uh, we did
0: it again this year. Okay, well we'll have a look at the dopers. I just want to name you mentioned there, Jack Walton. Of course, is a uh, grandson of Michael Walton, isn't he? There's another man there with a with a pedigree that's not been with you that long. A, a keen young man himself.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, no, Jack started us about, um, I want to say about three, three and a half years ago now, and um, he's come on really, really well, and he's now more on the sheep side of things, on store sheep, cast ewes, um, and selling... also breeding sheep and, and the tups as well yeah he's uh he's got a he's got he's definitely got a sheep pedigree anyway yeah
0: that's true enough he has there and, and uh, you mentioned the dorpers there and i mean there are other i wouldn't like to call them a minor breed they're probably a breed that's on on the way now i know i've seen them in in uh, australia the south african originally aren't they and uh, yes. are they getting more breeders in in, in that line then there's a few people getting into that breed
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, there's, um, there's more people looking at them for systems such as your easy care and your more extensive sort of systems. And they, they kind of fit into that model. You know, they put a little bit of shape into those, those easy care type sheep, um, for the, for the deadweight kind of market. Um, and that's what, and that's what the people are starting to tap into really. And, um, yeah, yeah. So um, it, it worked well. We, I, sold, I think we sold six this time, average 583 quid with the top of a £1,000, uh, thousand okay. so it was good,
0: yeah. They're a breed, if people don't know them, they're a breed that shed their wool as well. I mean, some of them are white, but they also have the ones with the, with the black head. It looks like they've got a bucket of tar stuck on the head, don't they? Yeah. so uh, They are yeah. quite striking, aren't they?
1: Oh, they are. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite good for this side of the country. The black and white, and uh, yeah, we're in uh, black and white sort of an area, and uh, they've got black, yeah, blackheads, and then uh, the ones that we sold, they didn't. They've more hair on them, really. Yeah, they are very, very much easy care. You don't. It's uh, for. They'd be quite a good sheep for myself. Really. I I'm not a very uh, keen clipper. So uh,
0: yeah. That's me too. I've got Rylands, and they got too much wool, but I don't clip them. <laughs> but the, the I mentioned, I suppose, the the minor breeds, and I mentioned that they still have a part to play in the industry or are we still seeing some of those older breeds should i say come in coming back in
1: yeah, definitely. Um, I do think do. Uh, we do. There is, and that's the best thing about the British uh, the sheep industry. Really, we have well, we we breed such a wide, varied amount of sheep, uh, and they're all for slightly different markets. And it's it's good we can cater for all different types of markets. Um, and and these and these breeds um, certainly do that. You know, we we are seeing more people starting to go back to your to your Hampshire's. Um, and am using those, and you know the. the They convert grass well, and they put a a fair bit of uh, easy fleshing onto them. They could put a a nice cover of fat on them, Um, and then also possibly your primitive breeds. We're seeing a few more people using like your Shetland type yows, um, especially for like I say, extensive systems. And uh, we do have a little bit more demand for your Herdwicks and. Um, and, you know, people using them and putting a terminal sire, a continental terminal sire on them um, and, you know... If we are going as an industry going towards that extensification, you know, those uh, those primitive breeds are brilliant for that.
0: Yeah, sure. Sure, and of course, there is a lot of people will buy the smaller, smaller minority breeds, buy them because they just want to take them to the to the shows and get a bit of crack in the summer, a bit like myself. Um, but uh, every one of them has a purpose or should have a purpose from sort of where it started out. And and yeah. do, you, do you think the shows? Have an input into the sheep industry. I mean, yeah, we see a lot of lot of sheep at the shows and you know, high prices and what have you. What what role does the show take yeah, within uh, the, within the livestock industry?
1: Yeah, definitely. I th- I think they still do have a a part to play. Sadly, it's you know there is less people doing showing because of the costs, and it is a shame, you know. But they are a massive uh, shop window for this, for these uh, for these pedigree breeders, and um, I and mean, you are seeing it. And I think the show circuit is becoming a little bit more commercialized, which is good. Um, and people looking for working sheep. Um, and, and that's probably the way it should go, to be fair, because, um, but yeah, I definitely do. I do think there is a place for showing um, and it's, it's just good advertisement. You know, you see these top end breeders, you using shows um, to, to market the stock. And that's what it's about. If, if people don't see them, they don't know that you're there. Yeah. It's simple as that.
0: True, true. I mean, there are, there will be a few more breeding sheep and cattle, for that matter, being sold privately now, sitting at the top end, where people are sort of selling them at shows or they're selling them on the internet or what have you. But the the livestock markets are still there as a benchmark for for the for the pricing, really, isn't it? I mean, if we didn't have the livestock markets, nobody would know anything was worth.
1: No, 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 definitely not. It's um, it 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 does it sets a precedence so right through the industry. It doesn't matter whether it's it's breeding stock or. Or your prime stock. Um, you, you, we see we see it all the time. We've we've had a few mule mule Gimmel lamb sales and mule yow you know, lamb sales just the last few weeks, and you, you can see the people that are coming just putting their head through the door. And you know, ah, yeah, you sell You just want to know what the average is so you can sell your sheep at home. And 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 if it wasn't for the rings, if it wasn't for the live ring, that wouldn't happen. Um, and we do. We it's just exactly the same for the, for the fat stock ring. If if lamb fat prime lambs. Are uh, in great demand. You always see it first. The the rings go dearer first, and the uh, the processors and the deadweight chaps have to uh, have to set the prices up. So um it,
0: it is it, it does it does set a benchmark definitely interestingly a lot of people probably won't notice i mean I, I live in france they probably know that but um there aren't many livestock markets in well aren't any livestock markets here in france at all everything goes on the dead weight and, and uh, goes straight out there so i don't So that basically gives the buyer the chance to dictate that price whereas as i said the livestock yeah. market they set they set that they set that benchmark and, and everyone has to buy them you know britain is really probably one of the last Britain and Ireland are the last ones now to still have livestock markets. And is the livestock market days numbered? I remember saying this to John Foley 20 years ago, and he said, is stupid, we have to have livestock markets. We don't have any, but uh, would, would you feel going forward, is the livestock market days numbered to, to come in line with the rest of Europe?
1: I think it, we are quite a stubborn bunch in this country. And I think, um, yeah, we'll stick with it. And it's um, there's a great danger if people do leave them. There is. There's, there's, um, you look at other countries, you look at the Southern, Southern Ireland especially with their prime stock, especially their fat cattle. Southern Ireland does not have a fat cattle um, live auction now. Okay. And that's, they are dictated to by price, by, by the processors. Only not one, mention only any one processor, I think. <laughs> but, 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 you know, it's we have to be very, very careful what happens because really with a livestock ring, the the farmer is still in charge. If if he's not happy if if that person, he or she is not happy with the price they are receiving, they can take them home. Yeah. As long as they're not in a red market, obviously.
0: Take them home and cost and them, take them home cost them nothing apart from a day out, yeah.
1: Exactly. Um and you you're still in charge with it, but once you know, Once you stick, them, stick your, your stock on a, on, a, on a wagon and they go to an abattoir, that's it. They're gone. Yeah, sure. um, And there's no coming back. And, um, and
0: there's, there's, a, there's a slight social aspect to it as well, I think. I mean, not like it used to be. My father would go to get him into market every week and sell cattle, sheep, and pigs and wouldn't come home till about 8 o'clock at night you know, with, with the driver <laughs> sort of thing, getting in the market bar. I don't think that happens anymore. But there is still a social aspect to it, which, is, again, is, is important for, for, for certainly uh, nowadays farmers' mental health.
1: Definitely. Do you know, we saw it, um, uh, it was very, very prevalent in COVID times and um, the amount of times And I'm speaking, I'll I'll happily speak on behalf of my colleagues and other auctioneers in the north of England and across the country. Auctioneers in in COVID time weren't just people for for business, but we were there, you know, as pastoral reasons, it was the amount of times we had farmers ringing us up just for a crack. And they were desperate to get back to the mart just to speak to people. And mental health is a massive thing. Um, it's, a, it's a big topic at the moment. And the the marts provide a hub. It's not just a business hub. It's a hub for people. Um, and we see, you know, there's people that live in very, very remote rural areas. And they don't see many other people other than when they, one, if they go and do the shopping, or two, if they come to the mart and sell some stock. Now, it's... It's it's a big thing. You can see it. You know, slightly older people. Um, they come. and You can see it every here. We have a fat sale here on a Tuesday and a store sale on a Friday. It's it's the same. Chaps come down. They have the, they have their breakfast. They have a crack. They're having their dinners, and you know, and they're seeing people and seeing people and just speaking to people. It's a, it's a good thing. It really is a good thing. And if livestock markets went there to provide that hub. Gosh, I wouldn't, I would hate to think, you know, what What state pe- people's uh, mental well being will be in, you know?
0: Yeah, totally, um, totally agree. It is. It is you know, something that said to, as a nation, we should be proud of that. That that, that uh, facility is still there. And, and yeah, let, let's move on a little bit. You've been, you say, nine or ten years. Uh, are we still improving in quality in our livestock? I know you're involved in cattle as well. Are we are still seeing an improvement. Everybody's still striving to get their livestock better, or have we reached a plateau now with uh, with with quality, or is or is the quality changing from you know a different type?
1: It's a different type. I think since I started. Um, It's the kind of the goalposts to kind of move. What we're very, very good at uh, with our livestock industry in this country is adapting. So if the requirements from abattoirs or butchers um, is slightly changing, uh, our, our producers are very, very quick to change that. And you can see it this, you know, two, three years ago, there was a great demand for, those export-type lambs, those uh, Beltex and Dutch Texel-type lambs um, for the export. Well, because there's been so many on the market, that that premium for that product hasn't been quite as much as it has been in in previous years. So people have adapted the heavier-type lambs. well, be making more money and in, in greater demands. So people have kind of moved to slightly bigger sheep. Um, and that's been that's been obvious this last two years. Um and then with the cattle, same thing, you know, people are kind of moving away. We're seeing it a lot here where we would have a heck of heck of a lot of well, a large percentage of continental breeds and people moving now to Easier flesh and easier carving, easier managed um, like native breeds, and we're seeing that. So, I would say yes, people's quality is good. It depends how what your measure of quality is. Um, quality of stock is good because uh, it, you know the standard of stock is still very very good, mm-hmm. but um, but it, it could be slightly different. Like back, you know, ten years ago, everybody was looking for those U and U plus an E grade cattle and, and sheep but now they're looking for you know like I say something that's it's healthy it's easier managed um and and it's growing quick uh, and we are seeing that and um, people are willing to pay a premium for a good breeding stock
0: comes down to profit at the end of the day all of it does doesn't it but I mean sometimes it's very hard to know where to go next and you mentioned the export market there of course is a is a bone of contention since we lost that from from Brexit and it, you're a man with your ear to the ground I don't suppose you've got a crystal ball any more than the rest of us but are we starting to see the export market coming back now?
1: Yeah to be fair personally I don't actually think it's had too much of an effect Um, the export demand yes it's uh, speaking to a few processes. it's been a bit of a headache and there has been more red tape and things but Export demand is still there. Um, there's, there's there's a large population of of uh, ethnic consumers in Europe, and they want they want fresh they want fresh lamb. They don't you know they're not overly keen on on frozen type uh, lamb and mutton. They want it fresh. Um, and we can provide that here in great number sure. um, and yeah I do I, I think the, uh, the export for, for British produce because we do have such a good product um, is, is still there yeah
0: and, and, and obviously the promotion of that both in, in, in our own countries and overseas I guess the likes of uh, the National Sheep Association we spoke to Phil Stocker last uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago on this podcast from the, from the NSA and the AHDB as well I mean how do those guys help the industry?
1: Yeah, I, I do think um, they, they are promoting the industry rather well now. Uh, they, you know, a, a few years ago they would get a little bit of stick from from farmers and auctioneers and, um, and other people on the ground, but we are seeing them they're promoting promoting our products abroad. Um, and also it's good to see ahDB doing um, commercials on primetime TV on you know on ITV and um, and things and um, yeah they are promoting the product they're, they're promoting the product at at these big shows in you get them in in Paris and um and out in uh germany and they've they've got the stands and they are promoting it and um no they i, I do believe they are doing a good job good, to be fair
0: good that's good to hear that uh, the the levy money that goes into them is being used wisely and uh uh, what about some of the, on the pedigree side, I'll go back to you now, some of these high-flying prices that we see, and we know, you know, the Texel uh, Sportsman Double Diamond a couple of years ago, £350,000 made headlines all over the world, and we see these high prices for blackies and various things. Does, does that help the trade, or is that actually a little bit of a red herring that, that uh, turns, turns people away from farmers, thinking they've all got too much money?
1: I've got to be very careful how I answer this one, uh, Andy. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't know, it's... <sighs> Sometimes I, I, you, you do hear it, a lot of a lot of farmers, local farmers. You, you can hear them. Wow, that's not doing much good for the industry. And you know, people think that we're always whinging on. We haven't got any money and things. And but actually, it's good promotion for the industry. Any promotion that gets into the news is good, um, I think. Anyway, but you know, if people are looking to source, like we just discussed um, the top genetics. They've got to go out there and pay for it. Um, and that's what's happening you're seeing that and um, if people want to go out and spend that kind of money that's up to them Um yeah it is a, yeah. it
0: is a pyramid isn't it i mean you you're the very high price ones at the top and the top genetics working its way down i mean you'll know in the part of the world where you are of course the swaledales have been partly to, to to some grabbing some headlines with the with the swaledale breed making the high prices but i mean that helps their cause when they you know they've got they've got the blackies and the chivets and that to contend with they've got to keep flying their own flag so i suppose it uh, yeah, yeah definitely it
1: um and the, the swales are slightly different again because those guys there's a very very tight pool of genetics they can go for because the swales are slightly different. Um, they, uh, which I do believe, they might be one of the only breeds. They're not they don't actually use any AI at all. all right. So they've, if you want to go, got to get a good top. They've got to go out and spend a bit of money and get him. Okay. Um, so yeah, <laughs> fair enough.
0: Fair enough. And um, while we're on the pedigrees there, of course, the other thing that's, again, is a topical subject from time to time is the index figures. And I mean, nowadays, the MLC weight recording has been in place, what, for 30, 40 years. And index figures originally didn't really mean much because they were just sort of local record against each other. But they've got that a lot more scientific. Now, do you see a demand in that? Do you see, see let's go back to your Kelso and your Bilthring, do you see a demand for buyers buying, paying more for high index figures or, or is it irrelevant?
1: Well, we saw it. I, I was actually speaking to um, someone at BILF the other week, um, back about 10, 12 years ago. And actually, my father mentioned it. We was having a chat with um, a well-known Suffolk breeder that's uh, that's uh, no longer breeding Suffolks. But he, um, the the Welsh government had um, a scheme on for it was like a, a grant on, and it was all for high indexed tops. Well, that soon went off because really. <laughs> I don't know more about sheep wise, but people aren't—they're not really looking for. This could be—I could be completely wrong—but people still want a good sheep at the end of the day. Um, a demand—the demand for a good, good, solid commercial sheep uh, certainly outweighs one that has, you know, high indexes. I know you, 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 there there are breeds out there that just sell them on on indexes, and yes, they do. They have—they have a very—you know—they have a good following. Um, I think there's more. It's probably more I think people look into it more with cattle um certainly you know we see a lot of a lot more of it people on the cattle side of things they're looking for those high index bulls um you know bulls that were have got high you know terminal indexes and then um female indexes as well they are they are looking at them um but also I think it's people still want a good beast if it doesn't matter if it's a, a bull or a female uh, or a sheep they they have to have a, a beast that's you know you don't it's not all about looks i know that but it's got to be a, a good commercial beast
0: somebody said to me that, that, yeah, that, that if the if the index figures were that accurate that there would be no need for livestock markets or, or for shows for that matter because you just go online and buy the ones with the highest figures so you're right there has to be has to be taken into account but uh, you still need to yeah. see the animal yeah. okay
1: as, as I do think say there, there's definitely place for them um, but like it, they have to be more accurate and then for me personally I, I do believe uh, speaking to farmers they're looking for an animal that converts it's it's more about feed conversion and I think that's, personally, I think that's where the industry should be going. You know, it's an animal that's it's born easily, grows quick, converts forage, converts converts you concentrate um, as quickly as possible, because as an industry, the sheep and cattle industry we 're miles behind our competitors, and our competitors really are the pork and poultry industry um, and you look how their genetics have changed in the last forty fifty years well it 's totally you can 't even compare them um, and and um, as as sheep and cattle producers I, I do think we need to be. I gotta be careful, uh, with how I say this, but this should be probably breeding animals that, like I say, born easily, grow quick off 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 feed. Um yeah and, and convert and conversion rates really
0: you mentioned earlier on the um the crossbred ring which is sort of starting to to, to gather momentum i know uh, my pal rob patterson was selling crossbred tops in Kelsey's 20 2025 years ago uh, and there was a demand for them then but we are as as a nation and i'm saying you know, sort of britain and ireland as a nation de- dearly hang on to our to protect our, our pedigree genetics there and we've had this conversation is there a place for for the crossbred tops and, and will we see more of those coming coming on in the future
1: yeah I, I definitely do think there's a place for them because um you know you to get a good t- crossbred tub you need a good pedigree uh, animal so you, you, one has to go with the other one and um the crossbred tubs they got a lot of hybrid vigor they go out there and we're we're seeing it as auctioneers here uh people say they're living longer they top more yows um Yes, you might not quite get the consistency. The one the one thing that does, it's like a, a crossbred tub or a crossbred bull. You don't probably get the consistency through its offspring because they'll either throw one way or another sometimes. But... You, they, they, I, I differ.
0: what I would, I would beg to differ on that one. I won't beg to differ in the sheep world, but if you look at the the American cattle industry now, the whole thing has gone down a hybrid route, and, and there are hybrids that are purebreds, if you know what I mean. And the same if you look into yeah. Africa and Australia, where they're breeding Brahmins into these things for for reasons that they need to to adapt to their own um, nation. But if you go. I suppose it's like a dog world, really. I mean, a Labradoodle still isn't recognized as a breed, but it's getting to the point now when you're breeding Labradoodles with five generations back and on both sides, then then you have got a breed in its own right. But uh, nobody seems to have managed to nail that that crossbred top down in, into something with it with a deeper pedigree.
1: No, I know what you mean. It's um, We're seeing a lot of it now, especially with... Uh, your Charlie Beltixes and your Texel, your Texel Beltixes—they're um, very, very popular. Very popular, um, and they do a good job. They do just to to produce a, a good commercial um, fat lamb. Yeah, I, I, it definitely is a place for them, and they are becoming more popular. Um, yeah, and and it's it's becoming apparent at both at Kelso and and uh, down there at Bilth the the hype the high prices are getting are increasing every year mm-hmm. um and it's good it's good to see
0: you're right i mentioned my pal rob patterson and again rob you know robie runs a lot of those um cross bed tops there certainly charlie beltex is, is a is a good combo and uh he's, he's got a queue of people buying those and selling them at home because maybe there isn't actually the you know the ring for them although there is a crossbed ring i suppose as you said but both those places but uh, they, there'll be a lot of maybe mixed mixed mishmashes in there of what's all in that ring i guess
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Let's move on to another controversial subject, Then, while we're at it. Uh, and uh, <laughs> You're
1: putting me in a corner here.
0: <laughs> uh, no, you're okay on this one, but I mean, rewilding is starting to become the buzzword now, isn't it? People buying up carbon yeah. credits, buying up the mountains and putting trees on them, what have you, and it's bringing the sheep off the hills, and I spoke to... to um, did a read pass last week and he said, Well that's kind of giving the chivit a little bit of an edge because they don't need the sheep quite so hardy to live up on the on the mountains. They can bring something that's living on lower land. So you start to see that creeping in creeping into your industry now, starting to see that that affecting yeah, the business. It's a real
1: it's it's a real shame. Like in our area here, um two great examples today. There's uh, there's two flocks uh, at Longtown today, um, from real hard, hard sheep, um two flocks of, of, of black yows and and they will live in some of the harshest environments in the the Northumberland and uh, Scottish borders and all that hill, and that's coming down from the Carter Bar into Kielder down there, and, and that some of that will be some of the harshest environments are around, and uh, that's all getting rewilded. There's, there's a lot of acres going there, and we've... We've also got um, here uh, with ourselves. We've got a flock of yows coming through next year, next week. Um, if that farm gets, there's there's talk of that farm being rewilded. Who knows? But we are seeing it more and more, and it's it is a real shame because it, it is it's not just a couple of years of breeding behind these sheep. There's there's uh, there's hundreds of years of breeding behind these sheep, and that's just gone. And we're, we're seeing more and more of it. And where where we're going. Um, as a country, and we're, I don't know, I don't know. It's um, it's it's a real shame because uh, they're talking about rewilding. Well, I'm afraid some of the uh, experts, so called experts, if you're taking a grazing stock a, a sheep off that uh, environment, it's not going to look like that in a couple of years' time. We're seeing it now in certain areas that have, the sheep numbers are depleted a fair bit um, in the last five ten years, and Amazingly, in the summer we're seeing more fires yeah. um, and there's less there's actually less uh, wildlife about because you know every um, environment needs managed. It needs managed in a certain way. Um, and our hills and uplands are, look like they do because they've been managed as they have been for the last few hundred years with sheep. And it's a great shame. It is a great shame.
0: It all comes down to carbon, doesn't it? And we had Professor Gilliland, a very, very clever man, uh, on the podcast a few months ago, and him saying, "Well, trees aren't the exact answer." I mean, I don't think anybody does know the answer. It's just about a short stop gap and people being seen to do something for the industry. But as you said, when they start losing those those flocks that have been going back generations, it, you're never going to replace that breeding
1: again, are you? No, no. It's um, it is a bit of a worry. We 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 are worrying as an we are worried as an industry of. Um, Where's our food going to come from? The you know it's <laughs> we, we, we've how many more people here now compared to ten years ago, fifteen, twenty years ago, and yet we're producing less food. It doesn't take a genius, you know. We're going to go hungry before long, um,
0: unless we all go vegan, which we're not going to do. So you're right that some of that has no. to be turning itself around. Even then, you can't eat a tree. That's another another. Well, you probably can eat a tree, I guess, but it's if, if you.
1: Well, I don't mind broccoli, broccoli now and then. <laughs>
0: And it's uh, moved from the sheep a little bit. You say you know, you're mainly in the cattle trade, and, you know, the beef trade, and you know, we've talked about that. And, and are we seeing you know, the suckler cows are being reduced again off the hills, aren't they? Or, and they're changing yeah. too. But the numbers of suckler cows certainly in Scotland are declining very fast. Is that reflecting in, in, in your own markets?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's becoming very hard to just keep our numbers up. Not gonna lie, um, we've sold. Well, we were just tallying it up the other day um, in our in. In our catchment area of, you know, Cumbria and Scottish borders and, and Northumberland, we've probably sold off nearly five and a half thousand cows in the past uh, seven or eight years. Wow. And it's, and and that's either people killing them off or we've dispersed herds. And, you know, that's a lot. That is a lot. And it's a, it's a great, it's, it's a massive worry for us. And as a business, our our biggest income is store cattle. Um it is a big worry to be honest is there something uh, that the government uh,
0: can do to reverse this if, if if they wanted to
1: unless they go back and which i know they won't um, because we had a meeting with one of the ministers uh, about 18 months ago and i asked her directly what are, what are your plans you you can do it in scotland you've got a suckler you've got a, they've got a suckler scheme there and uh, and a producer gets a 100 pound a head for every calf uh, they produce. Why can't we do that here in England and Wales? Wouldn't give me an answer. And um, that's the only way to do it, really. Other and um, other, unless we're getting more for for our product, um, they're saying, you know, subsidies are coming off. That's all well and good, but we've got to get paid for for that product. That product's going to be more more. Um, and it is. It's it is. A, it's a big worry for us. Um, the cattle numbers uh, are, are becoming tight um and it especially the, you know suckler cows suckler cows in, in in the uplands they're expensive they're very expensive to keep um, a lot of these fellas have got to bring all the all the straw in all the concentrate feed in and it's you know it could be costing 750 800 quid to keep a cow a year well yeah you know it's it's becoming hard to uh make it financially viable
0: and you you mentioned earlier on a bit of a swing back towards the native breeds yeah the, the, the likes of the short and, and the angus and the hereford to a degree as well and probably not in your part of the world but uh, and bringing the the cow sizes down as well i think you said you yeah, the size of the cows they're bringing the they're bringing the out the, the cow sizes. do you get involved in in pedigree sales there drew have you got pedigree sales uh, yeah well
1: um it started um 'cause I, I've got I've got a, a bit, I have a fair interest in, in pedigree cattle myself and when I stuck when I for the second year I was here t- tried to get a bull sale going and that um and we've now got a successful Limits and bull sale in May. Um and that's just run commercially really. it's not a it's not a society sale but that's goes well it goes on well. Um other Pedigree routes, we we don't really have that here. Um, our competitors have kind of uh, have got that over in the west there. Um, but um, yeah, no, we've we've got a and bull sale here, which is 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 going on well. We sell between thirty and forty bulls. Um, there and, and yeah and that goes fairly well with the cattle breeding side of things yeah we're, we're noticing it more more people we sell a lot of angus bulls and and actually hereford's and, and more hereford's and short ones now it's last couple of years um people looking to keep replacements because replacement costs are going up and up um and people looking to breed their own and, and they are turning to the native and we're seeing that um through throughout the throughout the industry really um more our angus numbers Angus and Hereford numbers uh, of store cattle of um yeah, they've they've gone up significantly this last couple of years. You
0: mentioned um, your competitors across there in the West, which we will not name names. Or we, we know we will not name names, but they they're there. They obviously are your direct competitors, and a company that's, that's grown very fast and taken over. Is there still an attitude from farmers to use the local market rather than heading across to you know to the big market or bigger market there in Carlisle? Or do you get people that are loyal, or maybe it's just quicker for them to come and use your market rather than run the cattle over there? Because so do, do you tend to find that that uh, you get loyalty from from local farmers at Hexham.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's a, a lot of it comes down to price, and I would like to say we're very, we're very, very, very competitive um, at the moment, um, especially on the commercial stock on on our store cattle and and on, on sheep side of things. Um, but yeah, people they're very, very, very lucky up here in the north of England. They've got so many markets on the doorstep. Like I've, hailing from West Wales, we literally had two two markets within. 30 40 mile uh here you could have your pick of some of the best markets in the country within 30 40 mile you know you've it's um there's there's an abundance of markets here and they're all doing very very well and they and we're all battling with each other and competition is the best thing and and uh producers up here you know you've got you've got quite a lot of auction companies competing against each other um Keep, and that's that's good that's good for that's good for us all, really. Keeps
0: you on your toes, Drew. That's what it does. It keeps you on your toes.
1: Oh, definitely on your toes that, and on yeah. your game.
0: Well I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat to me today. I know Yorkshire's are all very busy people and a busy mart there, and we haven't quite finished the end of the breeding top sale season yet. I guess you know, the Swalers and the Blackies are still are still to go in the yeah, next week we We've two. got a um,
1: We've got a big sale next week. Um, I, I'll do a little plug. <laughs> a big. Uh, we got a big. Well, our draft sale next Thursday. We'll have um, a few. Th- uh, is, a, is quite a few blackies and, and uh, not so many swales, but we've got predominantly blackie draft ewes And then Monday, we Monday the blackie top sale day, which is good. Um, mm-hmm. And now, we, yeah, we've moved to the hill use. Now we've finished with the with the mule Gimmel lambs. We've we've done mule gimme lambs last Thursday at the Tow Law sale, and and uh, Mule Yow lambs lambs at the beginning. Of the month, so it's it's been a good month. It's been a busy month, but um, yeah, enjoyable. And we
0: mentioned the muley lambs. Just just uh, I used to buy a lot of them up in that part of the world ourselves, and, and uh, prices up on those as well to, to pro route everything else. The muley lambs taking a bit of a <laughs> bit, bit more expensive to buy this year.
1: Yeah, it's been tremendous. Um, our first sale, we had our first uh, first two sales here at Hexham or uh, uh, Blackie bread. They're all Namsalam or uh, uh, North of England mules, but they're out of the Blackies. So because there's not many people that know, um, there are two types of North of England mules. You get your your Blackie types and, and your Swale types. So the first sale we had. Um, yeah, there was about sixteen, seventeen hundred and we averaged hundred and fifty-five quid, I think they were. and they were all topping lambs, they were all good, which we you know they'd be a bit, a, a, nearly up a tenner. And then um second sale was is a mixture of uh topping and uh, running lambs and they were they would be twelve thirteen quid up in the year as well. And then last week we had the towel at uh, Gimmer Lambs, which is out the, out the swale, five and a half thousand and they averaged hundred and twenty-five, hundred and twenty-six, and that's from your top you're topped up lambs to you're running lambs. And we are seeing as an industry, people coming back to the mule. Um, the mule, mule gimmers this time have, have been in great demand. They've been tremendous. They've been, you know, couldn't believe it. We had our gimmer sale uh, last Wednesday, 2200 mule gimmers to average um 218 pounds, which is up 30 quid on the year. My father, and my imagine. father would turn in his
0: grave, he had to pay more than 44 for him when he used to go. We used to go there and buy truckloads of the things there, but uh, yeah, it's all pro rata, as you said, if we're getting more for the lambs and, and the rest of it. Well,
1: yeah, but it's uh, we're seeing it. There's an industry people are coming back, they are coming back to a sheep that um she can she can produce two lambs off you know predominantly off grass, um, milk well um and and they are the, the people are coming back to the mule which is fantastic to see
0: probably i should mention you know, the other half of that mule of course is a blue-faced leicester and you know the backbone of, of of the sheep industry in the uk some people would say by the fact that it does produce a mule out of all sorts of different different types of sheep yeah. in different places and yeah you, you get blue-faced Lesters of course are predominantly from your area originally would not it that's that was their sort of main their mainstay so do you get involved in those as well
1: yeah, um, a little bit, not too much. Um, Jack's more the expert. Jack and Harrison. We've got a, a, an apprentice auctioneer who just started last year as well. And uh, Jack and Harrison uh, are the other Blueface Leicester experts. To be fair, in our company. But um, yeah, no, we we've, like we say like we previously said we sell them up at, uh, at Kelso, and then we have them down at Bilth, and we sell them on behalf of uh, Michael Walton auctioneers. And um, yeah, no, like. It's, they are they are they are the backbone of them. Um, everybody gets a bit of uh, blue blueface blue less this time of year so yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, flying trade, flying trade, and still on that. Well, Drew, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I think we're sort of catching up with what's going on at the at the moment, if you like, in the industry, and it's brilliant. And, and I'm gladly give you a shout you and know, another time to to see where we've moved on to. But it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and, and uh, hear how the industry is going.
1: Thank you very, very much for having me. And um, yeah, we've um, yeah we're getting to cattle sales now, so hopefully the, the cattle sales will uh, go as well as the sheep sales. So yeah, thank you very, very much for having me.
0: Okay, well, I'll let you get back to your business. And uh, Drew, thanks, thanks again. Lovely. Thanks Andy. Okay. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast and As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harborough, for their continued support. And uh, if you're thinking about how to boost fertility in your flock this autumn, uh, why not contact Harborough? Because they have offers available on feet and fertility lick buckets. And there's a great science behind these buckets. That uh, There's a great story about how nutrition at the point of conception can influence lambs for the rest of their life. So uh, uh, get in touch with Harborough there and see how how their feet and fertility buckets can help you in your business and the other range of livestock nutrition and nutritional advice so uh so get in touch with harborough please find them on the internet or your local representative and uh, uh while you're there on the internet don't forget to look up our top lines and tails facebook page and uh, subscribe to that and maybe subscribe to our weekly podcast as well wherever you get your podcast from so uh, uh please just remember to click that button